Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. So we're moving onward here with our little trilogy of study within our study, 414 and 7, of the science of getting rich. And today, we're going into chapter 14. Now, I will tell you that probably of all my books that I have read, chapter 14 is the favorite chapter of any chapter of any book that I have read. And the reason is I think that it's my favorite is because, number one, it's a fun chapter. The more you study this chapter, this chapter alone has the ability to change your life, especially if you're in business. But I think that if you learn to use it for relationships or your marriage or with your kids or in social situations, business situations, or even if you work for somebody else, it has a huge potential to change everything that you are experiencing. It is a chapter that I actually bring into my high-end sales courses that I teach individuals. And the name of the chapter is The Impression of Increase. This helped me get a completely different level of thinking when it came to business, service, and sales. So let's begin. He says, he, being Wallace Waddle, says, whether you change your vocation or not, You must direct your present action to the business in which you're presently engaged. Now, you know, if you have heard my story about me being sucked through the dam and not living the life that I wanted to live, having a tremendous amount of responsibility and constantly failing and going backwards, it comes to this kind of culmination where I'm working for a company where I'm working on the dock and I'm in the back of a trailer and I'm kind of stuck in a metaphorical box, if you will, and not knowing how to get out. All logic and the intelligence of other people says you shouldn't have done the things that you did. You should have finished high school. You should have went on to college or learned a trade, developed a skill developed a reputation for yourself that was better than the one that you had. In other words, that you had a good work record, that, you know, that type of thing. And when you come from that place, when you're stuck in that place, and I want you to think about this also as it pertains to your own individual story. When you're stuck, you're stuck. I mean, the epitome of the word is that you can't find your way out. I mean, it seems like no matter which way you turn, there's no exit. You can't get out of being stuck. And with me, it certainly seemed that way because it seemed the only way out of where I was stuck was to go back to school, which would cost time and money, but I didn't have time and money. So that wasn't an option. So how do you get out of that situation? And when I read this, when I got to chapter 14 that Saturday afternoon and I read these first three sentences, I think this is the part that I really got emotional about because Everything that I was reading in the book, I was seeing that I had done those things unconsciously. I was an unconscious competent. But when I got to these first three sentences, it really showed me how spirit found a way to meet me. I like to tell people, God will meet you in the field. In other words, you got to go out and do the work, but God will meet you out in the field where you're doing the work. 
and he confirmed it with these three sentences. He says, whether you change your vocation or not, you must direct your present action to the business in which you are presently engaged. In other words, I did the right thing. I couldn't have left. There was no place for me to go. Had I actually left, I would have been in the same situation that I was in. It wasn't going to change. I needed to change within the environment that I was in first, and that would open the door to me getting out of the environment. He says you can get into the business that you want by making constructive use of the business that you're already established in by doing your daily work in the certain way, which I said on the last call was by law. Anytime you see Waddle say the certain way, he means by law. Then he says, and insofar as your business consists in dealing with other people, whether directly by telephone or by letter, the key thought of all your efforts must be to convey to their minds the impression of increase. Now, I thought to myself, damn it, this is exactly what I did because I changed three parts of my attitude that allowed me to do exactly that thing. It was do every job to the best of my ability, treat everybody with total respect, and act like I loved what I did. That allowed me to convey the impression of increase not only to myself psychologically, emotionally, to everybody that was around me, my superiors and the people that I worked with on the dock. Spirit and God, everything. I was conveying the impression of increase to every single thing in my life. And it could not help but being, by being a cause set in motion to produce a like effect in my universe. The next line, he says, increase is what all men and women are seeking. So now he's talking about a deep psychological truth and spiritual truth in nature that exists in all of life. Increase is what all men and women are seeking. It's the urge of the formless intelligence within them to find fuller expression without. The desire for increase is then inherent in all nature. It's the fundamental impulse of the universe. All human activities are based on the desire for increase. Now, you got to think to yourself, I mean, as I read this, I just get excited all over again because in my mind, it just explodes open the potential for everything that we do. Because, you know, one of the questions is, what do people want? What is it that people want? Well, at a fundamental nature, they want increase. They want more of something in their life. And guess what? If you can be the person that can help them get that, you can write your own ticket. You can charge whatever you want. You can earn whatever it is that you want. You'll find that all the millionaires and the billionaires in the world are helping other people get what they want, even if they're doing something that's not good. I mean, if you, you know, it's weird to kind of bring this up, but I want to just show you how the polar opposite is also true here. If a person is a drug dealer in the alcohol business, they're helping people get what they want. Is it constructive? No, of course it's not constructive. It's not beneficial in any way. But they're helping people get what they want, so that's where the money flows, right? So you can do it for good or for bad. I hope that you choose to do it for good and not for bad. But you have to understand that the universe itself doesn't care. It moves all the resources to that which is all intent. Where is the energy going? Now listen to this. 
He says the desire for increase is inherent in all nature. It's the fundamental impulse of the universe. All human activities are based on the desire for increase. People are seeking more food, more clothes, better shelter, more luxury, more beauty, more knowledge, more pleasure, more life. There it is right there. More life. Anything that can add to life. Every living thing is under that necessity for the continuous advancement. He says where increase of life ceases, disillusion and death set in at once. So we're either growing or dying. Nothing is staying the same. We're moving in one direction or the other. Your business is growing or dying. Your income is expanding or it's contracting. Even if it appears to stay the same, it's not really staying the same. Now, he says people instinctively know this, and hence they are forever seeking more. This law of perpetual increase is set forth by Jesus in the parable of the talents. Only those who gain more retain any, and from him who hath not shall be taken away even which he hath. Now, it doesn't matter what your core religion is here. Because these stories exist in all of the seven major religions that are on the planet. I want you to think about this for a moment. This is one, this is one from the Christian religion, obviously, and it's paradoxical in its teaching because I've heard it taught ever since I was a kid, and people would say, well, how is that fair? That doesn't even really seem to make sense, right? If God is about love, if God is about more, then why is it that he would say, from the person who doesn't have, he shall even lose what he has. What does that mean? Well, it's, it's pretty basic when you start to understand this. If you follow the laws, you will always get more. You're in harmony with the law. You're consistently growing. You're in harmony with the law of more life. So it's more life for you, more life for others, and it's more life in what you're doing. If you're not following the laws, if you're going towards the poverty section of the law, it's taking away from life. So when you come from a position of taking away, you will even lose what it is that you have, the very little that you have. And so we see a very ignorant statement that takes place in the world right now. The statement is, the rich keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poorer. That's not happening because somebody's doing something to these individuals. It's happening because that's the law. The ideas that cause a person to be poor cause them to lose what they have. The ideas that cause a person to be rich cause them to get more of what they have. He says the normal desire for increased wealth is not an evil or a reprehensible thing. It's simply the desire for a more abundant life. And because in the deepest instincts of the, all of their natures, all men and women are attracted to the individual who can give them more of the means of life. Now, if you study this from a nature perspective, if you look at different animals and creatures that are attracted to each other for the purpose of mating, the, the opposites, male and female, are attracted to the healthiest form of that species, whatever it is that that represents. So because that has the capacity to carry on more of the genes of life. So in following the certain way, which is by law, as described in the foregoing pages, you're getting continuous increase for yourself, and you're giving it to all with whom you deal. You're a creative center from which increase is given off to all.
he talks about this so many times that we're a creative center. Thomas Troward talked about this, that we're a creative center. We are the center of our universe. If you stand up and you turn in a circle, you realize that everywhere you go, you're the center, which means you're creating the world that's around you. You have that ability. He says, be sure of this and convey assurance of this fact to every man, woman, and child that you come in contact. No matter how small the transaction, even if it is only selling of a stick of candy to a little child, you want to put into this transaction the thought of increase and make sure the customer is impressed with the thought. What does that mean? You want to make sure that in every interaction that the person becomes aware that they have increased by dealing with you that there is some measure of increase by dealing with you. If they don't think that, they're thinking the opposite, that they haven't gained anything by dealing with you. It's your responsibility to make sure that they're impressed with that thought. Convey the impression of advancement with everything that you do so that all people shall receive the impression that you are an advancing person and that you advance all who deal with you. Also, give people who you meet socially the thought of increase. You can convey this oppression by holding the unshakable faith that you are in the way of increase and by letting this faith inspire, fill, and permeate every action. In other words, when you meet people socially, or when you meet anybody for that matter, find something honest to compliment them on. You know, it's very easy to look at a person and find out what you don't like about them. It takes a little bit of training of your own thinking to look at people and find out something that you can appreciate about them. But there is something to appreciate about every person. Do everything that you do in the firm conviction that you are an advancing personality. In other words, you have to own that idea that you are an advancing personality, that you are confident in that idea. Not only are you aware of it, but you're confident that you have something to give, that you have something that is going to increase the awareness, increase the idea of more life with every person, and that you are giving advancement to everybody. Feel, in other words, use your emotion, feel that you're getting rich, and that in doing so, you're making others rich, that you are conferring benefits on all. Now, he says something here. He kind of changes the direction of this a little bit, and I'm going to give you some insight on it because I think this is really powerful. He says, do not boast or brag of your success or talk about it unnecessarily. True faith is never boastful. That doesn't mean don't ever talk about it. He says, don't talk about it unnecessarily. There are, especially when you're in business, there's often times where you need to talk about it where it is necessary. Boasting and bragging comes from a wounded place on the inside. Telling somebody factual content about what you've done or what you can do is not boasting or bragging. He says, true faith is never boastful. Now, here's the important part. He says, whenever you find a boastful person, you will find one who is secretly doubtful and afraid. Now, this really teaches us something if we're paying attention. If you were to meet a little child, say four, five, six, seven years old, and that little child was misbehaving for whatever reason, because they were doubtful or afraid, 
you would not deal with that child in a harsh way. You would come from the place that you understand that the child is scared, child is uncertain about something, and you would do something to reassure that child and then hopefully point them in the right direction. What is really sad about society today is that we don't really do this with adults that we come into contact with. But the truth is, is that most adults are children running around in a full-grown body because they have not matured to the place where they no longer need to be secretly doubtful and afraid. But he's giving you signs here. He says, when you see someone who is boastful, you're looking at somebody who's, you know, I mean, it's not like there's something we would call them some kind of nasty name or something, like they were arrogant or they were a jerk. But you're looking at somebody and through awareness, you understand that really the person's afraid. It can help you change your energy and it can help you work out how you're going to deal with that person based on your understanding that the person's afraid. He says, simply feel the faith and let it work out in every transaction. Let every act and tone and look express the quiet assurance that you're getting rich, that you're already rich. Words will not be necessary to communicate this feeling to others. They will feel a sense of increase when they're in your presence and they'll be attracted to you. You must so impress others that they will feel that in associating with you, they will get increase for themselves. See that you give them a use value that is greater than the cash value that you're taking from them. Now, one of the things that I think is so great about this paragraph here, and I'm going to read it again so we understand what I'm focusing on. You must so impress others that they will feel that in associating with you, they will get increase for themselves and see that you give them a use value greater than the cash value that you're taking from them is that you have to become consciously aware of the value of what it is that you're offering to other people and the value that you have in that interaction and that it's measurable, right? So he goes on to say, if you always take an honest pride in doing this and let everybody know it, you will always have customers. People will go where they're given increase and the supreme power which desires increase in everything and which knows everything will move toward you men and women who have never heard of you. So it has a tremendous benefit if you understand the potential of what it is that you're offering to someone. He says your business will increase rapidly and you will be surprised at the unexpected benefits which will come to you. You will be able to make larger combinations and secure greater advantages and go on to a more congenial vocation if you, in fact, desire to do so. But all of that comes from this idea that you are communicating a greater use value than the cash value that you're taking from them, right? He says, if you take an honest pride in doing it, if you let everybody know it, you're always going to have customers. So that's the first effect. People would go where they are given increase, and the supreme power which desires increase in everything and which knows everything will move towards you people who have never heard of you. That's the second effect. Your business will increase rapidly, and you will be surprised at the unexpected benefits which will come to you. That's the third effect. You will be able to make larger combinations and secure greater advantages and go on to a more congenial vocation if you desire to do so. That's four effects from one change. It's as extremely powerful. He says, however, in doing all of this, you may never lose sight 
of your vision of what you want or your faith and purpose. Now, there's a reason that he's saying that, and he's about to explain it. He says, let me here give you another word of caution in regard to motives. Beware of the insidious temptation to seek power over other people. In other words, once you become aware of doing this, you become aware of the cause and effect in your life. He says, nothing is so pleasant to the unformed or the partially developed mind, in other words, the immature person, as the exercise of power or domination over others. The desire to rule for selfish gratification has been the curse of the world. For countless ages, kings and lords have drenched the earth with blood in their battles to extend their dominions. They have not been engaged in an effort to seek more life for all, but to get more power for themselves. So the truth of the matter is is that we can do this, and once we start to understand that we have this power, we can then stop maturing, and we can start going down a road where we just want to control everybody. And because we have the ability to control partially, we start treating people like crap, and we're not really doing it from a pure heart. Eventually, these people will come down, and we've all seen people that actually do this. The idea is that we understand the reason why it's happening and not be susceptible to the idea of seeking power over other people. That comes from fear anyway. He says, today the main motive in business and the industrial world is basically the same. People marshal their armies of dollars and lay waste the lives of hearts of millions in the same mad scramble for power over others. Commercial kings, like political kings, are inspired for the lust of power. Now, you have to realize that this was written in the early 1900s. I think that there was probably some of the power thing it went with it just because of a lack of understanding, but it also a lot of good went with it. He says that Jesus saw the desire for mastery as the moving impulse that evil world he sought to overthrow. He says, read Matthew 23 and see how he pictures the lust of the Pharisees to be called master, to sit in a high place and to domineer over others and to lay burdens on the backs of the less fortunate. Note how he compares this lust for dominion to the brotherly seeking for the common good, which he calls his disciples. So in other words, look out for the temptation to seek authority and become a master, to be considered as one who is above the common herd and to oppress others by lavish display. That is not awareness. The mind that seeks for mastery over others is the competitive mind, and the competitive mind is not the creative one. In order to master your environment and your destiny, it is not at all necessary that you should rule over your fellows. And indeed, when you fall into the world's struggle for high places, you begin to be conquered by fate and environment, and getting rich becomes a matter of chance and speculation. In other words, it, the idea of overthrowing other people, of becoming competitive, in other words, we have to squash someone in order f- to move forward, comes from fear, it comes from the idea of lack, and it just leads to tremendous problems because we only become better than the next person, we never actually become our greatness. He says, beware of the competitive mind. No better statement of the principle of creative action can be formulated than the favorite declaration of the late Golden Rule Jones. What I want for myself 
I want for everybody. Now, this is a great idea, and to put it into practice, it also comes from having a good awareness about being humble in the fact that you're never going to get other people to necessarily follow this idea. If it's not already in the person's character, it does take a tremendous amount of study to wake a person up to the idea that they don't have to crush other people in order to lift themselves up, but actually lift other people to lift themselves up, and that there's no limitation in the world. There's no lack. So we want to stay out of the competitive mind and stay in the creative mind. The creative mind will consistently get us seeing opportunities. The competitive mind consistently makes us see problems. Problems from the perspective of why we can't do something and what we need to break down or change or ruin in somebody else's life in order for us to have the things that we want. 14, again, is a chapter that you need to go over and over and over again for yourself and really let the idea of the impression of increase infiltrate into everything that you're being. A really good practice is to ask yourself, when I'm in an interaction with other people, what is really my internal motive? And you will know that based on how you feel. Do you feel excitement? Do you feel enthusiasm? Do you feel a real desire to help and be a benefit to other person? Or do you feel fear? Do you feel intimidated? Do you feel not confident in what it is that you're doing? That'll really give you an indication of where it is that you're coming from. When you are in the midst of a sale with someone, the whole idea really should be, how can I help this person? Not how can I make the sale? If you truly help a person, you will make all the sales that you could ever possibly want. Uh, if you're focused just on how I can make the sale, you're only focused on yourself and you're not actually focused on what's best for the other person. Because what might be best for the other person is that you actually don't make the sale, that you recommend that they do something else. Not trying to find a way to manipulate their thinking into making the sale. Now, if a person is in a position where they have the need for what you do, they have the desire to do it, and it's going to benefit their life, and they're not doing it, you have to realize that something is preventing them. To influence them into a way of thinking where they can think clearly so that they can make a conscious choice about doing something with you is not manipulation. It is influence, and that is following the impression of increase. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.